Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter today. That's where we'll be, 2 Peter chapter number 1. Good to see you. It's a little humid today. As we mentioned earlier, it's good to have the rain. Before we get into the message, I do want to share something that's on my heart, a burden of my heart. It's somewhat of an announcement, but it really ties in with our worship as we look to an opportunity here in about eight weeks, and it's coming up quick, and that is our family camp. You might ask, what is this? It's a theme and variation on VBS. Uh, VBS typically is five days and three hours, and it's just the kids. This year, we wanted to do a family VBS, and so it's from Friday to Sunday morning. Now, you're not here the whole time. Don't worry. The word camp kind of confuses it a little bit, but uh, we're going to have a family-focused VBS on Friday evening, Saturday, and then Sunday morning we'll conclude. And so would you be in prayer with me on this? We have a lot of planning to do. We'll be having several meetings coming up. And um, just praying that God would bless this opportunity. We want to reach men, women, boys, and girls with the gospel, strengthen families, and see people reached and encouraged. And so please be in prayer about that. Jot that on your calendar. You can go to that web link and find out more information and register there. And so we'll be making a lot of preparation for that here in just a few weeks at the end of July. All right. If you have your Bibles there in Second Peter chapter number 1, we will look there. The title of the message today as we continue our series is called Newborn. Newborn, and if you have your hand out there, the subtitle, What It Means to Be Born in Jesus. What does it mean to have this relationship that we do with God? And uh, how do we unpack all that this is? Um, I'll probably reshare this illustration in a second, but it's fitting here. How many of you got a gift years ago Maybe you were given to it as a young child, and you've held on to it for all those years. And back then, you really didn't realize how valuable it was. Can anybody think of a gift like that that they've received? And, and maybe we're not even talking about monetary value. Sometimes we're given gifts that we're like, oh, wow, when we get older, we realize that has a lot of monetary value. But honestly, the most important value is when we're given a gift, and 10, 20 years later, we look back on it, and there's a lot of sentimental value a lot of intrinsic value because of the person who gave it to you. What we're doing this morning is really looking back at the gift that all of us have been given in a personal relationship with Jesus, and we're trying to just better understand the incredible, limitless value that this gift has to us. And in understanding that, it will help us to utilize the gift we've been given. Um, gifts are great when they sit on a shelf, I guess. <laughs> But gifts are a lot more helpful to our lives when they are being applied and used daily. And so that's what the gift of salvation is all about. God gave us the gift of salvation not only to save us, but to shape us. And that's really been the focus of this series is looking at what real Christianity is all about, going back, reviewing some of the basics, but then showing how those basics really do plug into our life in a daily way. And if there's any message that does that, it's this one right here. So let's read the passage of Scripture. You have your hand out there to follow along with some notes. If you like to fill in the blanks, there you go. You're good to go. And let's read this passage of Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given 
So there's that gift. God's given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, so what Peter's just said in the first three verses, the great gift that we've been given, the precious promises, partakers of the divine nature. He's talking about our salvation. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. He says, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. And once again, good to see you. Glad you're here this morning. Looking forward to sharing with you what God's laid on my heart as we review uh, this passage and also chapter 7 of the book that we're going through this summer, Real Christianity. And if you need a copy of that, those are out in the lobby. But let's have a word of prayer. Father, bless this time in your word. And as we look at other scriptures that really tie in to what we're going to study today of what it means to be newborn, to be a partaker of the divine nature this gift is so incredible. We spend the rest of our lives understanding its value, its worth, and its efficacy or its effectiveness in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would show us today why it is that sometimes we don't see um, that gift as being effective and how we can change our minds and believe by faith the gospel and that you would help us to see these wonderful truths that are ours in Christ May this message today be encouraging, comforting, but also challenging, and may it call us to live out what's being worked in by your Spirit. Spirit of God, I pray that you'd use me this morning in these next few minutes. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. We all tend to associate our identity with our performance or our behavior um, we typically define ourselves by what we do. What do I mean? Well, when you meet somebody out on the street and you get besides their name, what's one of the first questions you ask them? You ask them, what do you do for a living? And part of that is because in our culture, with the American individualism that we have, we highly define or highly categorize ourselves based on what we do. We have all the different vocations and the jobs. And so a lot of times our identity, if we're not careful, gets primarily rooted in what we do. And that, again, is because of the American culture that we live in. In fact, that is rather unique to the American culture. Most uh, cultures in the past did not define themselves primarily by their performance or what they did. They defined themselves by what family they were a part of. And thus, you have all the crests and all the different clans and all the different things. And in fact, in the Bible, when you study this out, you'll find that most of the times when, when the Bible mentions a name, they also mention the son of so-and-so, like Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me, or uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And so over and over through the Bible, you see that someone's identity was primarily tied to not their occupation, it was tied to what family they were part of. Now, in a sense, we still do this today, 
my two boys. Where are they? We got Joey and Luke there. Joey and Luke go by their middle names, but their first names, Joey's first name is Matthew, so he's named after me and after my father's first name. And then Luke's first name is Stephen, so he's named after Rebecca's uh, dad's first name, Stephen. So, so we got Stephen Luke McLaughlin and Matthew Joseph McLaughlin. And if I got to find this little video one of these days, but when Joey was re- re- really little, he said Matthew Jophus McLaughlin. He couldn't say Joseph. He, he could only say Jophus. But anyway, uh, so somewhat we do this today by naming our kids after our fathers, and, and certainly the last name connects us. But, but, but in our culture, typically we have defined ourselves by our performance. And what this does is it has a carryover effect of influencing how we understand our relationship with God. Rather than walking with God, we end up performing for Him and forget that God does not accept us primarily on our performance or our behavior, but rather He accepts us based on our birth, whose family we're a part of. In our study today, as we look at this passage here in 2 Peter along with others, we will discover that God does not accept us primarily on behavior, but by birth, and we'll discuss what it truly means to be born again in Christ and remade in Him. In real Christianity, identity is solely determined by birth. Jesus accepts us because we are born again in Him, not because we behave for Him. And that's important to keep that order correct and to keep the foundation solid This is an amazing truth that has the effect of when really embracing and believing it, not only do we end up behaving better, but we discover that there is a part of us that truly wants to please God with our behavior, because, and it's because you realize who you are. Do we know who we are? Do we know what we have in Christ? Many Christians are saved perhaps for decades. Maybe you've been in here saved for a long time, but you've never truly understood this. I hope that today you will, along with me, all of us, that we would grow in our understanding of this. Yes, we might be saved by grace, but the, but the danger is, is that we get saved by grace and then we start to work really hard to achieve some level of Christian behavior about which we can finally feel better about ourselves and feel like we're in somewhat God's good graces. The sad thing is, is so many Christians live like orphans at an orphanage trying to appease an angry headmaster. No, God doesn't just blankly accept any behavior, but it's also true that my behavior does not determine God's love for me. And today you're going to hear many illustrations with me and my kids because this really is illustrated through the parent relationship. And so parents, we know this. Just because our kids' behavior isn't always what it should be doesn't mean that we don't love our kids. And so as we look at this truth, these, these truths, I hope that this will help us in understanding our relationship with God and anchor us and help us as we live out the Christian life. So four foundational realities to our relationship with God that are fully in place at the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. What, what we're about to discover is salvation is a wonderful word. It's a wonderful gift, but we're going to talk about four foundational qualities, realities of that, that really enhance our understanding of this gift of salvation and what it means to be born again, to be newborn, and have a relationship with Jesus. So number one, we see here this morning in the first blank you can put there is newborn, we are 100% a new creature in Christ. Notice back with me 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4, 
it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. God says that when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are partakers of his divine nature. Literally, we are new at the core of our being. If you want to put this in a technological term, it's like you get a new central processing unit. A new spiritual CPU is planted within you at the moment of your salvation. Now, you might not feel like that. When you got saved, maybe you didn't necessarily feel some of the feelings that other people feel. Um, And sometimes we don't experience that. Sometimes our feelings and our experiences betray the truth of what is really going on inside of us. But the reality is God's word says that when we trusted Christ, we were made partakers of the divine nature, which means something inside of us is completely new. This is important because a lot of Christians think that they're half new. Now, what do I mean? Well, we are, there, there's part of us that is 100% newborn, new creature. What is that? Well, it's the spirit of man. Uh, let's keep reading some verses here. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Bible says that when we trust Christ, we are a new creature. New where? We have a new nature. We have a new spirit. Our old man uh, in Adam has died. It was crucified with Christ. We're about to read a verse about that. We were crucified in Christ. Um, It says in Galatians 6.15, it says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So now we are a new creature in our spirit. We have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been made a partaker of the divine nature. See, there's a part of you, if you're saved, that truly loves God, that truly wants to follow God, that truly hates all those things that you used to do. Yeah, we know there's pleasure in sin for a season, and sometimes temptations allure us and pull us, But there's a part of us that hates those things. And you know what that is? That's the Spirit of God. And praise God we have Him. Amen? Praise God we have God within us that hates our sin so much because He loves us so much. It's kind of like with you as as a parent. Sometimes you see your kids in a behavior hurting either, either themselves or hurting one another, hurting siblings. And you hate what they're doing. It's not that you hate them but you hate what they're doing because you know that that's only going to hurt them and hurt others. And I'll tell you, my, my thinking on God's wrath was completely transformed when I understood his wrath in light of his love. God's wrath is directed against sin because he hates sin so much because he loves his creation so much. And what a wonderful truth to realize that God's working in my life, God's hating of my sin is because he loves me so much. And so the reality is, is when we get saved, we've got this 100% new nature. We've got a new spirit. Now, you might say, Pastor, if I've got that new nature, why do I still feel and act like the old guy sometimes? Well, the reality is, is your old man did die uh, when you trusted Christ. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That's a fact. It happened. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that we henceforth should not serve sin. And Paul says we have to know this, 
There's always a war against the knowledge of God. And, and so God says we need to bring ca- cap- in, into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so God says here we must know that our old man is crucified with Christ. You see, at the moment of our salvation, God did away with our old man. That old nature died with Christ on the cross. And when we trusted Christ, in a sense, our old nature died. And there's one new man living inside of us. God isn't sharing space with our old nature. Now, we still have something called flesh, and we can walk after the flesh, which are the old holdover patterns of thinking. Here's a good way to illustrate what happened when we got saved. Earlier I said, basically, when you got saved, you got a new CPU, a new spiritual CPU. That's true. How many of you have ever done work on computers? Raise your hand. Anybody ever done work on computers? How many of you have ever done an upgrade to your computer? Raise your hand. All right. Some of you have done an upgrade. All right. You know that if you put a new piece of hardware in that computer, sometimes the old software doesn't jive with the new hardware. Can I get a witness? How How many of you live in the valley of the shadow of death and have to deal with Windows computers? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a Mac, Mac addict. I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to deal with the blue screens of death. It just works for me. But anyway, um, Apple's so good about that. They, they make, the, the reason Apple's so good, all right, shameless plug, is because they make sure their software works with their hardware. Everything just works. With Windows computers, because of how the system and, and business model's built, software doesn't always jive with the hardware. That's what happens in our Christian life. We've got new spiritual hardware. But what happens is we've got old holdover virus programs, bugs, things that don't jive with our new. And that's where, why there's, there's this war inside of us. That's why there's this struggle, this, this wrestling, because what we're needing to do daily is receive download updates from heaven. And over time, we renew our minds to what? The truth that we've got new spiritual hardware. And we... reprogram those patterns of thinking that are holdovers from the old man. You see, the flesh masquerades as the old man, but the good news, the good news is the old man is dead. He's in the grave. He's gone. But yet we develop theology and explanations based around what we feel and what we experience. It feels like the old man's still alive. Listen, yesterday in my van... When I acted in a certain way and got sinfully angry towards my children, it felt like the old man was still alive. But the moment I responded in that way, you know what the new man did? Broke my heart. And so I know that I'm new. I don't always act like it. I don't always live it out. But I know that I'm new. Because there was immediately that grief of the Spirit that you sense. How many of you sense the grief of the Holy Spirit this week? I know I did. And it's like, so this is so hard for us because it's like, ah, but God says we're, we're dead, but, but I don't feel like it. And I don't always act like it. Who are you going to believe? Your feelings, your experience, or God's word that says the old man is dead? You see, God says we got to know this, then reckon it, and then yield our members as instruments of righteousness to God. So God did not just move in next to your sin nature like neighbors. God's not sharing space inside of you in the spirit with your old man. No, the old man got kicked out. Sin might still be in you, but sin is no longer of you. What does that mean? Well, just because you get a splinter in your finger doesn't mean you're a totem pole. It means, yeah, you got a splinter, let's get that out. So sin might still be in you but it's no longer of 
you. And so the scriptures teach here that he crucified your old sinful nature on the cross and recreated you as a new creature spiritually. You are a new creature 100% in your spirit. And the rest of your life, what's going on is that spirit's working its way to the outside. That your whole body, soul, and spirit be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so just because we're completely new in our spirit, a new creature doesn't mean that we don't still have sin, as I've mentioned, or have the capacity to do wrong. But what it does mean is that for the first time, you're truly alive spiritually and you have a new nature that can mature in relationship with Jesus. It means that for the first time, you're no longer under the control of a sinful nature. Your chains truly are gone. That's the greatest news in the world, that Jesus didn't only save us from the penalty of sin, but my brothers and sisters, he rescued us from the power of sin, and that he wants to break those chains. He has broken those chains if we believe that he's dealt with our old nature. And so, for the first time, you are no longer under the control of a sinful nature that you inherited from Adam. Yes, sin might still be in you, but it's no longer of you. We all love babies. Babies are newborn little blessings, and maybe some of you recently have had the privilege of seeing a little miracle. Isn't it amazing? Babies are so cute and cuddly. They smell so fresh sometimes. <laughs> uh, it's amazing the, uh, the miracle they are and gift from God that they are. However, we do know, as you just intimated by your response and your laughter, babies have a PhD in knowing how to make a mess. Can I get a witness? I mean, they know how to make a mess. You don't have to teach them how to make a mess. And boy, many times it smells. Um, now, now, we as parents, we're not surprised by this. We love the cute and cuddly. We put up with the mess because we all understand that a new baby will make a lot of messes and will require a lot of learning, growing, and stumbling forward. The same is true for us spiritually. The Bible says that when we get saved, we are babies in Christ. And the reality is, is that we're growing. Sometimes we make messes, but we're still 100% new. Do you, do you think that a parent, well, maybe sometimes they think that this, but does a parent ever see their baby act in a certain way in question? I wonder if this baby's 100% human. No, they know the baby's, well, maybe you're like, is, is this baby from this planet? Uh, anyway, no, they rarely ever ask that question. Even, even though the baby makes a mess and does something that they don't like, they don't question whether that baby's a 100% human being. And in the same way, when we make a mess, when we fail, we do not need to question whether we are 100% a new creature. God says that we are. We were 100% human at our birth, but we were in need of growth. So it is with our salvation we are 100% a new creature in our spirit. And even though it will take the rest of our lives for that new creature to mature and manifest its true self, we still are 100% new creature. And that is the truth. This is critical. This is critical for us to understand because if you still believe, catch this, words mean something. And why do words matter? Sometimes people say, Pastor, you're just picky over certain words. Here's why, okay? Here's why. Words shape our beliefs, and beliefs shape our actions and our behaviors and our whole life. And so it's important because if you say this, if, 
If you still believe that it's in your nature to sin, you will never believe you can mature and enjoy victory over sin. If you still think you have an old man and that he's not dead, then sin is just natural. Ah, we do it. Ah, I'm just a sinner. That sounds humble, but that's not right theologically. You're a saint. You're brand new in your spirit. Who, Yes, you sometimes still happen to sin. And that's not a prideful statement. That's just aligning with what the truth of Scripture says. And so if you say that you still have a sin nature and that sin is just natural, then there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, really. I mean, if, if it's still... It, it, at your core, if you still have an old CPU that is programmed that way, then, then really there's nothing you can do about it. But if the Bible is true and you are a new creature, as we've just read in these verses, if you are a partaker of the divine nature, then you have all the potential of realizing and experience that new nature in a million ways in the years ahead and for all of eternity. Think about it. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, in your spirit. Does God share space with sin in your spirit? There must be part of you, part of you that's completely new because we know that from the Old Testament. God dwelt in the temple, but, but, but he didn't dwell in the midst of sin. So isn't that interesting? We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So how's that jive? Well, it's because in our spirit, we're 100% a new creature. Number two, the second truth I want you to see here in this passage and others in God's word is, number two, what does it mean to be newborn? What does it mean to have this incredible gift of salvation? You are 100% accepted. 100% accepted. Now, imagine in your mind on a scale from one to 10. 10 means that God fully accepts you, and a one means that pff, he doesn't accept you. You, you, you. you fail his acceptance test. Question, on a scale of one to 10, 10, God fully accepts you. One, he barely even tolerates you. Where do you fit on that scale right now? Where do you deserve to be rated? Or where would you feel you would be rated? Let me ask you a question. Where do newborn babies rate with their parents? Even though they make messes, where do newborn babies rate with their parents? 10 plus, 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 plus. And you know why I know that? Because I see the baby photos on social media, all right? And I see the proud grandparents on social media. Even though those babies make messes, you know what? Their parents accept them. 10 plus, plus, plus. We're human parents. We fail. We falter many times. But God is the perfect father. How do you think that he views you as his baby, as his child? Even with all of the baby's messes, they're fully accepted as children in their family because of birth. Because of Jesus and being born again in him, the good news this morning is we rate at a 10 plus times infinity because of Jesus and what he did. Now, I want to point out two verses because there is some confusion around the word acceptance. There are different meanings for this word, all right? So let's look at one verse. I love this verse, Ephesians 1 verse 6. The Bible says, being confident, excuse me, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. This term for acceptance here, this first term in this verse, its use here is in our relationship to Jesus and in belonging to him. And that's the context of what we're talking about right now. When we are placed into Christ with a relationship with God, the good news is you are 100% accepted because of Jesus. 
How does, this, how does this apply practically to our lives? Because I see so many people, even believers, who seem to be fighting for acceptance, for worth, for validation. And what they do is they go to work really hard to try to earn that acceptance from God. And sadly, many folks, because of the way that they were raised, they got this idea that their Heavenly Father was like that because, unfortunately, sometimes... Parents didn't love their children in a way which communicated that, yes, even though their behaviors might not be acceptable many times, they fully accept their children because of who they are. Yesterday, had to deal with my kids on, an is, uh, on, a, on, a, on a situation that went on with all three of them, you know, lovely little blessings, you know, and, 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 and I didn't respond right, but at the same time, their, their behavior wasn't right. And we sat down later in the living room and I said, now, kids, I love you 100%. I accept you. You'll never have to question whether you're a part of my family. But that behavior that you did, I don't accept because of the fact that I love you so much. And so God accepts us fully and completely because we are in him as his children. And that's good news. Man, that helps so much with me being able to rest and know that he accepts me. Even in the midst of my messes, he accepts me. He does. But, pastor... If we believe that, then we'll just go on doing whatever we want to know. No, because of this verse. Uh, this verse here is uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. This says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Now, this second scripture in the use of the term acceptance is in the context of our faith in action or our labor or our works being acceptable to God. And so this verse is referencing how we can labor or serve for the wrong reasons. And many times we do. We serve for the wrong reasons or we serve in the wrong ways with sinful agendas or motives. And this verse is pointing out our behavior and how it can be honorable, needs to be honorable in our actions. But that does not imply that our relationship with God would ever be called into question. So again, like a parent, are there times when our kids disappoint us? Are there times when we don't accept their behavior? Absolutely, and it's because of the fact that we love them so much. And so there are different uses for this word, but don't doubt for a second that in Christ, you are 100% accepted because of your new birth. Man, this salvation is incredible, but, but here's the problem. We think that salvation's like this first step that gets us in the door, and then we got to work to prove to God that we can stay acceptable. No, no, no. We're accepted because of Jesus, that alone, that alone. Now, thankfully, what God starts, he continues, and he keeps on working in and through us. Aren't you thankful for that? If you're thankful that God doesn't give up on you, say amen. Amen. I, I'm thankful that we have a patient, loving father that is so much better of a father than we are at times. And he patiently is working in and through us, showing the consequences of our sin, showing us how sin is deadly, it's painful, it's hurtful. And he's drawing us and he's correcting us. Uh, I, I love Hebrews 12 where it says that God is chastening his children. Why? For our good, for our growth, for our learning. Yeah, chastening doesn't seem to be pleasant at the present time, but it yields the peaceable fruit of glory, Hebrews 12 says. And so God keeps working on us, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Understanding that God welcomes us into a relationship with all of our messes as newborn babies is vital to being able to relax, enjoy, and know God. 
He doesn't call us to a life of anxiety and a spirit of constant fearfulness and questioning his acceptance. He calls us to trust him with a spirit of restfulness. Why can God love and accept us fully in spite of our messes? It's because of Jesus and the cross. God made Jesus sin for you. You heard Jessica just sing about this beautifully. And and the beautiful truth of the gospel is that Jesus became sin for us. Why can God accept us? It wasn't without great cost to God. God can accept us because of Jesus doing what he did for us. God can accept us in spite of our unholy behaviors and our unholy life because of the perfect holy life of Jesus. You see, God can be just, he can be holy, but he can also be justifier of them which believe in Jesus. To declare, I say, his righteousness. God gave to you his righteousness. You didn't work to earn it. Last week, you remember me talking about Martin Luther at the beginning of the sermon? Martin Luther misunderstood the word righteousness in the book of Romans for years until he figured out, oh, this isn't talking about my ability to be righteous. This is talking about God's ability to be righteous and that it was a gift given to me. You see, salvation is amazing. It is an incredible gift, and we spend the rest of our lives unpacking the value, the worth, and the significance of it. Number one, in Christ, with salvation, you are 100% a new creature. The old man's dead, the new man is here to stay, and you start to grow in him, understanding who you are in Christ. Number two, you are fully accepted in the beloved because of Jesus. You are accepted on the basis of Jesus and his grace. You are accepted because you belong to him by birth, by birth. Number three, the next truth is not only are you 100% accepted, 100% a new creature, but number three, you are 100% secure. 100% secure. No man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. I love these verses here in 2 Peter chapter uh, 1. Look, look back at verses 2 through, three, 2 through 4 again. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Now I'm thankful that those promises are true. They're true because of God's character, not because of my ability to maintain my character. Uh, These are eternal promises. They aren't temporary. They are eternal, given to us by God. Other scriptures we'll look at here in a moment that, that, that point out the fact that we are secure. Nothing can cause us to lose our new nature. It's permanent, written in permanent ink, never to be erased. Salvation is birth. And the last time I checked, folks, birth, it's irreversible. It's irreversible. Aren't you thankful? I'm thankful birth is irreversible. My kids can't go back into the womb, can't go back into being a little embryo. They're here, and we're glad. They can't be unborn. They can never not be a part of my family. They are sealed into my family by a genetic marker. And if you doubt that, we'll go get a DNA test to prove it, right? Because DNA genetics is even proving that today. They could change their name. They could live totally not like a McLaughlin, but it doesn't change the fact that they were born into my family. So what are some scriptures that would point this out? Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Number one, you are secure. L- listen to these truths. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. There it is. You're a partaker of the divine nature, the Holy Spirit of promise, exceeding great and precious promises given to us, not temporary, permanent, and the proof is in the seal. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest. What's the Holy Spirit? He's the down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession when we go home to be with the Lord and to the praise of his glory. All we have is Christ. We'll sing for the rest of our lives in eternity. Our boast is in you, Jesus. You saved us, you sealed us, you shaped us, and now you've perfected us. We're, we're in your presence, body, soul, and spirit. We're there. We are 100% secure. Think about it. If you're seated in the heavenlies already in Christ, how is it possible to lose your seat? You're sealed, 100% secure. Now, sometimes our behavior doesn't line up with that reality again, does it? I love what Paul says at the end of Ephesians. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He's talking about their lifestyle. He's saying, don't, don't live in sin. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are, but then he reminds them of their security, whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. Spiritual birth is everlasting. Just as I mentioned to you, just like genetic level security. <laughs> Uh, we are related to our parents by genetic code. This is unalterable. No matter what one might do to disconnect or dissociate themselves from his or her family, they could never rewrite the permanent genetic code at the microscopic level. This is what it means to be 100% secure in Christ. But religion rejects this because they're like if you tell somebody once saved always saved they're just going to go and do whatever they want and so we develop theology faulty theology based on the fear that if we tell somebody they're a new creature they're 100% accepted they're 100% secure that they'll just go out and do whatever they want no it's not until they really believe these things that they find out they've got a new wanter the Holy Spirit of God that doesn't want what they used to want and so it's a failure to understand and to truly believe that God's grace can teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That it's his love that constrains us. That it's his love. It's the expulsive power of a greater affection. And that's the focus of gospel preaching. The focus of gospel preaching is not do better, try harder, come back next Sunday and pretend like you got better. The focus of gospel preaching is to say, we're a mess. We failed this week. We responded to our kids in a wrong way this week. We looked at things that we shouldn't have looked at. We had thoughts that we shouldn't have had. We, we were bitter and divisive towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. But you know what? I've come here today, and yeah, I failed this week, but he's greater, and he's still working on me. Yes, I stumbled. I fell, but God's grace picks me up. He's forgiven me of my past, present, and future, and in him I am new, and daily I'm growing in this understanding. I'm sealed. I'm sealed. I love this verse, Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. Ooh, that word regeneration. It's like saying you've been regened. You've been regene sequenced. At the molecular spiritual level in Christ, you are 100% secure because you've been regened. You've been regenerated. And the renewing of the Holy Ghost in which you are sealed to the day of redemption as a new creation that is fully accepted and secure because of Jesus nothing can remove the seal of God's spirit 
Romans 8 tells us this. I'm persuaded that nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as a new creation, because of Jesus, nothing can remove the seal of God's Spirit. Nothing can rewrite your spiritual genetics. Nothing can ever threaten or change your security with Jesus. I mean, think about it. Your behavior didn't bring you to Jesus, and behavior cannot remove you from him. It's that good. It's that simple. And it's so simple. We go to work complicating it. The moment we get the simplicity, we're like, oh, but, but we got to, no, we just need to rest and believe. Faith. You know what faith is? Faith is a rest that God will do what he said he would do. That's what faith is. Faith is a rest. It's a rest. Behavior didn't bring you to Jesus. Behavior cannot remove you from him. That, my friends, is spiritual level security. Praise God. 100% secure, 100% accepted, 100% new creature. But it leads all to this because you have now, because of Christ, 100% new potential. Folks, this is good. You see, it's great to know that I'm a new creature. It's great to know that I'm 100% accepted in God's family because of Christ. It's great to know that I am 100% secure. I've got new spiritual DNA that cannot be taken away. That code is tied to me now forever. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. But those truths lead to new potential. Isn't it fun to watch our kids grow? I mean, we uh, were watching old home videos yesterday or the day before on the Apple TV. And um, wow. Where's the time go, parents? They grow up so fast. And we pulled up, um, one of the videos we pulled up and we're looking at was Caitlin when she was first playing the violin. Whew. Caitlin, we, uh, we endured. You know, we endured her squeaky notes. We endured her not perfectly playing in time. And now it's incredible to see the growth. And you're like, how did that happen? You know, well, it happened with a lot of stumbling, a lot of wrong notes, a lot of practice, a lot of growth, a lot of maturity. And she's still growing. I'm, I'm sure we'll look back 10 years from now and say, whoa, you know, age 14, you didn't really have it. But, but, but you know, keep growing. This is the point, new potential in Christ. New potential. Finally, being newborn in Jesus means you and I have unbelievable potential for growth and personal transformation. This all begins on the inside, as we've talked about. New spiritual CPU, new spiritual DNA, you're accepted, 100% secure, you're sealed. But this is an internal transformation that truly will work its way outwardly. Change of behavior, but even, even with that, change in motivations for why you behave, change in attitude as you behave. Ooh, that's what we need. Because as you and I know, we can fake it. We, we know how to fake the Christian life. We know how to come to church and look like we're faking it till we make it. Do you realize, though, that if we really believe what we've heard this morning, that faking it is actually when we sin? you realize that faking it is actually when you sin because sin is no longer the real you? You've got a new you? This is what Paul said twice or three times in Romans 7. Do you catch that when Paul was having his struggle with his sin issues that he said this? He says, it's no longer I that do it but sin that dwelleth in me. Verses 17 and 20 of Romans 7. Why would he say that? Because Paul realized he was a new I. 
His old I had been crucified. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. The old man, the old I. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. That's a riddle, isn't it? How many of you have ever read Galatians 2.20 and said, that's a riddle. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Ah, he was crucified with Christ. His old man was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he lives. Yet not I, but his new I, the Holy Spirit, Christ, lives in me. So you know what happens when we're tempted? Satan lies to us in the first person. Yeah. Like when you're driving tomorrow to work and someone cuts you off on the road, you know what you say? I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. That's not the new eye. That's the old eye, Satan tempting you, masquerading as the old first person who's dead. You've got a new eye. So you know what you need to do tomorrow morning when you're on your way to work and that person cuts you off? Don't bless them out. In your old eye, don't say, I would say, thank you, God. No, that's the old man. I had this happen yesterday. I had a thought in my mind, come, come through my mind. I said, ooh, I would do this. And immediately I started preaching the gospel to myself and said, nope, that's the old eye. He's dead. The new eye hates that. The new eye knows that if I go with the old eye and think that the old eye is still alive and follow that temptation and, and, and fulfill it, that that will only bring me grief, pain, misery, and death. You see how that truth connects, and it births within us new potential. And so we don't doubt when we have a little newborn baby that over time that baby's going to grow. And that baby doesn't become more human. That baby was 100% human the moment it was born. And because it's 100% human, it's got the potential to mature into an adult. And folks, this is what the gospel does. God makes us newborn in him. We're new babies. And as babies desire that food, the sincere milk of the word, we are in Christ. You know, we have this hunger now that can only be fulfilled in knowing more about God, learning from him. And so as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby, we have now this new potential for growth. Peter says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You've got 100% new potential. So how are you and I doing at growing? Now, don't misunderstand that question. I'm not saying, all right, we got to go in out and try to grow harder. Have you ever gone by a tree and heard a tree groaning to grow? The tree just grows because it's rooted and rested in the right soil, receiving the right nutrients, and sure enough, that tree is going to produce fruit. And so what should the focus this week be? It should be being rooted and grounded, resting in the truth of Scripture, daily renewing our mind to the fact that it is finished, and yet he continues to work the effectual work of grace in our lives through his Spirit as we bring out what's being worked in. It's, it, it is a lot like a butterfly. How many of you have seen the butterflies that have been flying around? You know, they hatched earlier this year, this spring. A butterfly didn't used to be a butterfly. It used to be an old caterpillar. I've given you this illustration before, and Carrie mentions it in chapter 7 of this book. It's a great reminder. If a butterfly never believed that it was new, maybe a butterfly comes out of that cocoon and says, well, I'm not sure. I think I'm still a worm. You know what that butterfly will never do? It'll never fly. And so many times we as Christians think, well, I got half a wing. I'm, I'm, I'm half in the cocoon, half out of the cocoon. No, you're fully out. But if you believe that you're still a worm, 
That sounds humble, but you know what worms do? They crawl around in the mud. And what God says is, you're new. New potential, 100% secure, 100% acceptance, 100% new creature. We possess great potential because of our union with Christ. We are made partakers of the divine nature, folks. And because of that, and I love the order of the New Testament epistles, and Peter even points it out here in this little microcosm of his epistle. How does he start it? He starts by saying, here's the indicatives. Here's what God has done for you. Great promises. Grace and peace be multiplied. Uh, You are made partakers of the divine nature. Now, add to your faith virtue, knowledge, all those attributes there that he lists. And so what's Peter saying? He's saying because you're a partaker of the divine nature, here's your potential. Grow in grace. Grow in understanding what God has done for you, what God is doing in and through you. And this is the goal of our ministry, to truly see transformed lives. So learning, what does it mean, brothers and sisters, to express this divine nature and grow into the image of Jesus? That is the journey of our life. Sometimes progress is going to be quick. We'll go through growth spurts. And sometimes progress is going to be very gradual. And sometimes we might even have to take a U-turn or a detour. But the reality is, never forget that we have this very real potential of maturity in us, already in us. The seed has been planted. The Spirit has been imparted. And God is at work in us. God understands this potential and patiently and persistently calls forth this new nature in you and me. The desires to be like Jesus are the desires and cries of the Spirit in our life. Are you listening to those cries? Are you following those desires? Many Christians struggle with accepting the idea that they have a new nature and that their old nature is crucified with Christ. The great news of the gospel, folks, is that we aren't the same person we were before salvation. If you've been saved, you're not the same person. Yes, you still might look the same physically on the outside. You still might deal with circumstances in an emotional or sinful way many days. But the reality is you're completely new spiritually. This, important, this is important to believe by faith because our beliefs then shape our behaviors. So God calls us to believe him. And wow, we just hit the surface of what Carrie covered and what this passage covers. I hope that you'll go and read chapter 7 this week if you haven't been reading those. If there's any chapter not to miss, it's this one. And to digest and to take in what's being said. So God calls us to believe him by faith, regardless of what our feelings or experience might show at any given time. I love this quote at the end of that chapter. It says this. Great quote. You might want to take a screenshot of it. Faith is the foundation, or just get it out of the book. (laughs) Faith is the foundation of all spiritual growth and maturity. Faith is the language of your relationship with Jesus. He responds to faith. He is pleased by faith. And he transforms us as a product of our faith. Don't miss that last phrase because that's where the growth in the Christian life happens. As we rest, as we simply abide, he produces the fruit. And so how's it possible? You mean to tell me that we don't do anything? Well, yes and no. We do as he works in and through us, but the doing is the believing. It's the faith. Because here's the problem. If we could do it, you know where the boast and the focus would be? It would be on us. 
beyond our efforts, beyond our accomplishments and our achievements, and it would not be our only boast is in you, Jesus. That's the point. And so, 100% new creature, 100% secure, 100% accepted, 100% new potential.